Well met, friends. I'm Jude Vase. And I'm Steph Midlock. Welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast exploring the bathic bad boys of Tolkien's Legendarium. That was really good. I'm particularly proud of that alliteration. <laughs> that was too, that was like off the cuff after I thought a lot about it and couldn't come up with anything good. So I'm very proud of you too. That felt good. I like to think that my, my Tolkien scholarship has given me a completely unearned talent with alliteration. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, hey, uh, just to get started. Hi, Jude. How are you? How are things? Good. The summer is nearly upon us. By the time this episode airs, I will be mere days away from being in California. Um, oh, I know. And hanging out with you, Yay. which will be fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be taking a little vacation, which is dope. So that'll be awesome. Dude, uh, I don't know if you're what you want to do when we hang out. Maybe we can talk about this later. But I did purchase that incredibly expensive, stupid Rivendell Lego. So I don't know if that's really an auditory journey for anybody. But we could put that shit together. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll think about it. We'll think yeah, we'll, we'll workshop we'll that a little bit. It. Yeah. Yep. 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 Cool. Well, that's good. You need a vacation. That'll be nice. Come out. See the sea. It's very healing to see the sea, if you will. Uh, Yes, unless you're afraid of it, which I'm not. Well, you are a little. <laughs> I respect the ocean. He's got a healthy respect for the sea. I have a healthy respect for the for the ocean, and as a result, I don't like to be on it. Okay. I come halfway from seafaring folks, so I'm quite at home upon the sea. I'm not one to get seasick. I'm also not afraid of big open water, which I probably should be. Uh-oh. Uh, see, Where's I'm not my afraid of open water. Coming from? Hmm? I don't get seasick. I just don't know what's down there, and that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. There's always some weird thing in like a really deep trench or light bicol or something. I've said this it's before. Creepy. But we we know more about like the fucking surface of the moon and Mars than we do about what's really on the bottom of the ocean. Right. And I know that that's not entirely accurate anymore because we've done some very good studies of the ocean. But we're always being surprised by what's fucking down there. And the problem is, what's down there is usually alive. It's not like on Mars where it's like a new rock or a fossilized <laughs> microbe. No, it's like some new weird goddamn glowing fish shark that could, that has some weird DNA that we haven't seen since the age of the dinosaurs. That doesn't make you uncomfortable. That makes me uncomfortable. And frankly, I would just rather not find out what it, what it wants with us. So I'll... I'll pass on the recreational boat craft. Thank you very you, much. You better stay out of them trenches, then. I'm, that's why. That's why they're hanging out. They're I don't trust. Deep. I don't trust that the trenches is the only place that they stay because we have filled the trenches with fucking poison and garbage. And don't you think they're mad about that? <laughs> Speaking of being filled with poison and garbage, welcome to Atherman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Transition. I know, right? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, hey, all right. Well, I can't wait to see you. Maybe we'll record something. That would be that would be a, quite dope, if you will. Yeah. Um, we had some really, really great feedback on our most recent episode. It was we the, did. That yeah, was fun. It was the lesser trod paths with Claire Moore. So we just wanted to take a minute to say a big thank you to Claire again for being on. She's amazing and phenomenal and such a great speaker and researcher. And she's so funny and cool. Like one of our one of our mutual friends, Jude, was like. She said, fuck boy. Amazing. I was like, I know. <laughs> we really brought her down to our level. Yeah. No, she was like, my, our friend was like, our friend Nicole was telling me on Friday, like, oh man, she's like, you're perfect for your show. She's like the perfect. I'm like, I know she's, she's, she's got her number. So thank you, Claire. You're great. 
She really and made us look good. If you haven't listened to that, so go do it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh, Claire talked about her research exploring disability and impairment as written by Tolkien, and it was just so, so engaging and cool. So thank you. Um, I also wanted to mention the Tolkien Society Summer Seminars coming up on July 2nd, 2023 this year. The theme is Numenor, the Mighty, and Frail, which is very cool. And when I was looking on the website, they have their papers listed. And like the very first paper of the day is called Sea Goddess Worship and the Power of the King, parallel between Aldarion, Uinen. Oh my God, there's so many amazing names. But there's like, yeah, it's going to be a great paper. It's by Perti Prihatani. It looks like it's going to be great. Um, yeah, that and really in fact, I know, right? And if you liked hearing from Claire Moore last month on Atherbeth, she's actually giving a paper at this seminar as well, as well as many other amazing people. So, yeah. and the seminar is free if you are a member of the Tolkien Society. It is free. It is a hybrid event, so we can watch it online if you're not, you know, in England. So, yeah, let's let's all check it out and then talk about it. That'd be great. Yeah. And then to finish up, I have a really old corrections calls the stack. Apparently, <laughs> okay, well, whatever. Uh, okay, I have uh, beef with this corrections. <laughs> Because, Why? <laughs> because I am literally looking at the text of the Book of Lost Tales where to view. Okay, so the correction, let's not get ahead of yeah. ourselves here okay. too much. So again, not to like, so this, again, I, I feel like I'm just obsessed with her, but this is Claire Moore. She tweeted the other day. If you're on Twitter, you should follow her. I think she's Claire Moore 94 If not, I'll link to it in the show notes. Sorry. And she said, by the way, you dorks, uh, Tavildo is not actually a cat. Which I think I said in my Baruthiel episode, like, I don't yes. know, a million years ago. And I Sorry. I respectfully I think... disagree with Claire, Ooh, given that it literally says in the Book of Lost Tales, and I'm reading, Now, Tavildo was a mighty cat, the mightiest of all, and possessed of an evil sp sprite, typo, I don't know. Yeah. And he was in Melko's constant following, and that cat had all cats subject to him. Well, maybe they meant like cool cat, you know, like no, dude I is don't a cool think cat. I don't think that <laughs> uh, Tolkien was using jazz lingo here uh, to refer to Tavildo. I think Tavildo is an actual fucking cat. Now, maybe there was a transitionary phase between when Tavildo was a cat and Saruman was a sexy man who became a sexy metal man. In between which Tavildo oh. was. Shoot. Um, uh, a man-man that had influence over cats and then a man-man that had influence over wolves. Yes. I don't know. Uh-oh. I'm now remembering the tweet better now that you say that. I think her point was Tavildo was a cat, but Tavildo and Saruman are not the same. Like, Saruman was never a cat, I think was her point. And I think I yes. made the point that Saruman was a cat. Yes. And I, that I would prefer that. Uh, so, no. You're right, Claire. I'm sorry. You're totally right. Tavildo was a cat. <laughs> He was, was not cat. only a cool Saruman cat, but a cat cat. Uh, a dick. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah. Saruman had many vestments, right? When he could change his shape. Maybe one of them was a cat, but we don't know. For I sure. don't know. We never saw him with a cat fell. We don't know. Fell. Oh, my God. That's so close to Maybe a bat he... fell, which is a real thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm mangling the linguistics there. For all I know, he also had a moose fell. Uh, <gasps> What if he had a deep spell? sea blobby fish creature fell that you're scared <laughs> of? Oh no, it's all connected, dude. Oh no. He'd have to keep it in a jar and just pour it <laughs> over himself. 
Oh, if he got out of land, he's like a blockfish. I'm just, I'm just imagining James, our editor, editing this episode, taking notes for future gaming sessions. Oh gosh, or being Slime like, how can I cut all this out? Jar. <laughs> okay. Well, we, well right. listen. Okay, Claire, you're right. I'm wrong. Saruman, Saruman is not a cat. Saruman. Oh no, he's definitely not a cat. Okay, I'm done. No all more right. corrections. Cold attack. Saruman might be a cat in the no. jazz definition. Oh, okay. He's not a cool cat, though. Okay. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. I think we can we can wrap this up and move on to the the the, the main matter for this episode. What are we talking about this week? Well, hold on, hold on. Oh, we've got many stormy paths to tread. So let's begin. So, Jude, what are we talking about this week? Oh, God. Ah! <laughs> Where's Ri when you need her? <laughs> what are, uh, wink, wink, we talking about? We are discussing two of my favorite Maiar. I am interested in the number of Maiar I find interesting is greater than the number of Valar I find interesting. Orme is really the only Valar I find particularly yeah. interesting. You love Nienna. And Nienna. Yeah. All right. I forget. Nienna's. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I, I feel like Nienna is a special case. I don't feel like I need to mention that. Yeah. But the Maiar, I think, are really interesting. And we're going to talk about them today. Sure. Yeah. So let's. So we're going to kind of break this up because there's actually more about these these folks than we thought. But let's. So what are what are their names? Who, who are we talking about? So we're talking about Ose and Oinen. Um, okay. So I immediately need to stop you because I also pronounced it this way until I read the back of the Silmarillion where they have a note on pronunciation and vowels. And apparently, okay, so I think Jude and I both got this from Martin Shaw, who is the narrator of... Yes, who pronounces it Uinen, not he, Uinen. He says Uinen. And I think it's actually, so in the, uh, yeah, in that notes on pronunciation, it says U-I as in Uinen. Uh, is the sound of English ruin. So I think it's supposed to be uinen. Yeah. So listeners, we're going to do whatever we whatever comes to mind, and I'm very sorry. Oinen, uinen, who knows? Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so Asa and uinen. Go, all right, continue, continue. Yeah. They are Maiar of the sea. Yep. So we're going to get into this ex- extensively, but they are, Asa in particular, they used to be Valar in the earliest conceptions of the Silmarillion, who became Maiar, and much of Ase's function was mashed up with Ulmos. Okay. So there was a lot of crossover there, and the stuff we typically associate with Ulmo was, was done by Ase, but eventually the, the delineation became... Ase and Uinen are the Maiar that are that kind of are in charge of the waters of men, right? So, like coastlines and storms near the where where water involves men, and Ulmo is the, the lord of all waters. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the, the the big old ocean and the super deep springs and everything in between, kind of, huh? Yeah, he just sort okay. of delegates this particular role to um, this asshole and his wife. So we're going to start by maybe like talking about where we find them in the legendarium, talk about who they are, 
Then we're going to transition into also making some bad choices. Then we'll kind of talk a little bit about their influence on the elves. And then again, we're circling back to Asa again because and sort of how he's different in the various texts in which you find him. Yeah. And then we'll talk about their influence on the folks of Numenor. So because they were very, you know, I mean, everybody's kind of a sea baby, right? So yeah. they they uh, they did they definitely get around, which is yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So where do we find them in the Legendarium then? They're primarily in the Silmarillion okay. and in antecedent versions thereof. Okay. So the Unfinished Tales, the Book of Lost Tales, the histories, which contain the older versions of the Silmarillion. But basically anywhere where you get a version of what becomes the Valaquenta or the, the story of the elves being transported to Valinor or the flight of the Noldor. That sort of circuit of the elves across the ocean and then back is where, because it involves the sea, is where you get the, you get Asa and Unin. Particularly Asa, because he is, in particular, he's involved with the, like, migration, the little, like, land boat that migrates the elves over. In all versions, he's in charge of that. Even after his sort of responsibility split from Ulmo, he's in charge of that. He he's in there very early. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Under a variety of names, which we will cover, but Yeah. In the Silmarillion chapter one. Well, so we, we hear a lot about them in the Valaquenta. So a lot of this stuff that we're gonna say is from the Valaquenta in the Silmarillion, but also in the beginning of days, it sums it up very much that Ulmo gave them the government of the waves and the movements of the inner seas, which is very cool. And just to jog your memory, remember that um Maiar are the beings who came to Ea or the created world with the Valar to kind of shape it, right? So that's so Ulmo is kind of their boss. He's the Valar of the seas, and they are the baby gods of the seas, yeah. whatever they are. And in the um, oh, uh -huh. in the earlier versions, in the Annals of Amon, and a little bit later through there, Asa and Unin are Valar. They are not considered Maiar. Interesting, and they are. Asa is, is counted among the chiefs of the Valar, like right alongside Ulmo and Tulkas and, and so on and so forth. But he is humorously always noted as a subordinate of Ulmo and a rebellious one. Yeah. Like, he's a yeah. Bu but notably, and we'll get to this later on, yeah. none of the mention of like the origin of that rebellion is mentioned. Right. And I'll, I'll, I, I have a quote later on kind of that harkens to that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, so Asa, is, he, him, is the master of the seas that washed the shores of Middle-earth. And he is like, he's called like a vassal of Ulmo. And he loves the winds and the coasts and the isles of Middle-earth. And I wrote here that he's a bit of a chaos boy. He loves the winds of Manway and quote, for in storm he delights and laughs amid the roaring of the waves. He definitely, as, as we're going to explore, like his, I think like, I mean, his, the kind of overarching themes of him are kind of the same, but I think, yeah, there are some interesting diff like ways to differentiate his, yeah. his presence and his maybe motivations for the things that he does. In general, he's basically, he's the, he's the one that makes storms and yes, when a boat sinks, that's his fault and right. things like that. He is beloved of the Teleri. Mm-hmm. In, in, in a lot of versions. Yes. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah, we'll get there. I think one of the things uh, with his names, so both Asa and Uinen 
their names in earlier versions are considered to have like elvish origins. But in later versions of the text, Tolkien decides that their names are Valeran in origin. Ooh, a lot of the gods' names are Valeran that have then ha- had almost like a backronym where like the name is a, a Valeran word that has been rendered into something elves can say and then assigned a meaning that then gets worked down into Quenya. Is Valaran the language of the Valar? Is yes. that what that is? Okay. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All of Asa's names, except for like one, have to do with what an asshole he is. <laughs> uh, so the earliest versions of his name glossed to terror Ooh. and fuming. Ooh. As in like water, like water fumes. Yeah. That's the Valeran origin one. And his Sindarin name means dread. Ooh. The only good. version of his name that is not a direct reference to what a butthole he is, is there is an old English name for him in the ver- in the book of Lost Tales. There's that whole like, and then, yes. you know, the old English dug up this weird book and translated it into old English. Um, and he is referred to as Falman, which means foaming or okay. sea lord. That's very interesting. Linen has less specific translations, but we are told that the they all have to do with water mm-hmm. and that he does re- sort of go back and say, well, it does mean water, but the original, like the etymology comes from Valeran. So. Yeah, and there's definitely like, there's been a name change. We learn in the, look of, the Book of Lost Tales that her name used to be O- with a little thingy over it, N-E-N, so Onan, Onan maybe, or Onan? Onan? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they both yeah, had n- interesting. numerous names across various yeah. versions. Hmm. So I think it's it's interesting, it, but they, I do think it's interesting that all of us have to do how rude <laughs> he is. I know. I also, there's a really fun fact about Asa in The Fall of Gondolin, where it's sort of, there's a few references that he's like, that he created the gulls or like the seabirds, and they're called like the birds of Asa. And I like this little quote. There the Teleri dwelt a long age, becoming different in tongue and learning strange music from Asa, who made the seabirds for their delight. So I like that. It's kind of cute. I well, think that's kind of cute. I think cute. it's a cute quote until you consider that this is a god who made seagulls to delight someone. So just imagine this to guy steal going. Steal your French fries. <laughs> what? What? You don't like them? And the seagulls like, Aah! and the, the the elves are all looking just like blank faced at it. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> don't sink my boat. Um. Thank you. Can we have more of those swans and maybe less of these seabird? Well, be have great. you ever heard of swan too? Swans are... do not make a charming noise. Or, uh, this is I'm off on a tangent now. But okay. have you ever Come heard back. of crane? Cranes have this reputation for being super graceful. Right? They are. They're all legs. Hey, have hey. you ever heard the noise a crane makes? No. Can you do an impression of it? No. I don't think Come any on! I don't think any any animal should make that noise. Coward. It sounds like someone is strangling an innocent animal and its dying breath is captured over and over again as the sound that a crane makes. It's <laughs> awful. Oh. It's well, there you so go. Bad. So leave it to Asa, kind of the do- the dick, to to make the world's most annoying birds. Notably, That's these amazing. are all seabirds. I should know. Yeah, like <laughs> a crane is a wetland bird. So yeah, there you go. Just so, throwing that out there. Thanks, Asa. Out there. Whoa, you're connecting it all with Red Thread. Um, yep. Well, anyway, sorry. Well, let's talk about Uinen. Uinen, uh, she/her is Asa's spouse. She is known as the Lady of the Seas. 
Her hair is spread throughout all the waters under the sky. And her whole thing is she loves the creatures and the plants that live in the salt water. And sailors cried to her, quote, For she lay claim upon the waves, restraining the wildness of Asa. The Numenorians lived long in her protection and held her in reverence equal to the Valar. And that's from the, the, the Valaquenta. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I do like that they, it makes sense that for a seafaring culture, Uadin would be held in incredibly high regard because she's the, the figure that restrains the chaos of Asa. Yeah. Particularly, I think it's great that the Numenorians would. And that's one of the things I think I like most about these two in mm -hmm. general is a lot of the Valar feel very abstract and, and sort of literary, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Like, even though the elves lived with most of these Valar for an entire age of the world, we don't get a sense of like, okay, maybe a little bit Manway because we do see a lot of Manway's POV as he's like, you know, sitting on his throne thinking manning about the resurrection <laughs> of elves and shit. But that just makes him sound like a, a nerd. It doesn't give you a sense of like what, how the elves interacted with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think Manway's a big nothing. I think he's, he, he, no, I know. Like, Agreed. Although Agreed. you get very little, like you really don't get a sense of what the, the lived experience of yes. the elves or the, or men had with these, these divine beings that for the elves, certainly they knew existed. Yeah. These were beings that they hung out with. So they had a they they knew concretely that they lit that they existed and that they were divine. And I know that Tolkien had this whole thing of like he didn't want to have like worship and prayer and the Valar didn't want to be worshipped, blah, 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 blah. But I I think it ignores the reality of the fact that like this is a piece of how people exist. They have, mm -hmm. you know, honoring these divinities is a piece of how people exist, have always existed. And I think the veneration of Asa and Uinen is, is a very realistic, very earthy, very natural feeling thing that sets it apart from almost any other depiction of any Valar or Maiar anywhere in the legendarium, Absolutely. which I really, really like about them. Absolutely. And as we'll explore as we go forth, they have like, their some of their actions have like very direct consequences onto these different groups, right? Mm -hmm. Onto these various children of Ilubater, right? Yeah. Interesting. I see S C A C. I see. I see, Jude. Huh. I see. Okay. I'm trying to make C puns and it's not going well. Oh, I get it. I oh, get it. I meet see. More. Well, let's talk In about my defense. That's a hard one to get from a from a spoken reference. <laughs> if only a wink could be translated audibly. Wink. There you go. Um, all right. So let's talk about Asa being seduced by the dark side. I know this is something you're really interested in. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little well, bit about it? Yeah. So in the published Silmarillion, mm -hmm. in the Valaquenta, we learn that Melkor hated the sea. Sure. Because he could not subdue it. Air quotes. Ooh. Yeah. And during the making of Arda, he drew Asa to his allegiance, saying that Asa could basically be Olmo. He, he went, you know, when he won, he could have Olmo's job. And then Aule, I'm not sure why Aule is involved here and not Olmo, maybe because Asa would not have listened to anything Olmo was involved in. And so they had to go with like a third party. But Aule gets Uinen involved 
And he says, you have got to bring your man in line. This right. is not working for us. Um, right. Because if you don't mind, because it, Tolkien kind of has as a throwaway comment is like, yeah, like Asa listened to this like dark side shit. And it, it sort of it awoke a bunch of great tumults in the sea. And it kind of and they're fighting like fucked up the land. Yeah. Right. Which is I mean, that's huge. That's a very it's a great example of Tolkien downplaying some very metal shit. Yeah, exactly. So Ali, sorry. So I interrupted. Ali steps in. Yeah. And Unen brings Asa before Ulmo and he's pardoned and returns to Ulmo's allegiance. But he never entirely sheds his like love of being a bag of assholes. <laughs> this, as, as Tolkien describes it somewhat less colorfully, a delight in violence never fully departed from him. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good quote. So here's two things I really I think are really interesting about this. Okay. One, I do not know of any other example of a character who changed their allegiance from the light to the dark, for lack of a better terminology. We don't have, it happens so infrequently, we don't have terminology for this, right? Right, no, not really, no. And then, to my knowledge, there is no other example of someone who goes back. Wow. Or even goes from dark to light. Like, they, it's always one to there. Like, you, the yeah. closest thing I can think of is Gollum. And that oh, sure. doesn't, that feels like a bad example. That was still because, very self-serving, right? Yeah, and I don't feel like he was ever swayed to any allegiance. As you say, it's very self-serving. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's a super interesting. So that's the first thing I think is really interesting about this is the uniqueness of the, circ of, of the event. Yeah. The second is I can find no reference. And if you know of some reference to this, please tell me. But I can find no reference to this happening in any other version of this story. I have looked in the Book of Lost Tales. Oh. I have looked in the Peoples of Middle-Earth, Morgoth's Ring. I've looked at huh. all the old versions. And as best as I can tell, this version of Ossa, this introduction of him being drawn into Melkor's allegiance, only exists in the published Silmarillion. Wow, interesting. Which means it had to have been a very late addition. Right. Which I, think, which I think is really interesting, and I wish I knew more about that. Do you think that there is some roots in the idea of forgiveness or something? I mean, you know, Tolkien was a big Catholic and blah, blah, blah. Because this is someone who's, in a way, redeemed, right? From Oh, no, I think it's the opposite. Oh, um, okay, I okay. Think, I think this is Tolkien trying to illustrate as why the sea is as terrifying as it is. Oh, sure. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to inject some darkness into the sea sure. because he has, he has created a, an ocean, a, a sea that is empowered by a benevolent god. Right. But also, there's a reason why sailors are terrified of the sea as often as they are in love with it. Like, yes. there is this dark aspect to sailing and sea life that I think he needed, he wanted a way to illustrate. And I think having Asa be a, and we see this in the older versions by having Asa be like a rebellious mm -hmm. subordinate. Right. Who is like not content with Ulmo's rule and often like goes against his, his goes against him. Mm -hmm. But it makes way more sense to have him be someone who was swayed to Melkor's side and then drawn back in. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's a much, it's a great like way to tell that story and to explain that. There's a specific term I don't remember what it is in like uh, comparative mythology and and stuff like that where you have a a myth or story that explains a piece of the natural world. Oh yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's a great bit of that. I can't remember what it's called, but it, but it, it it works really well. I just think it's really interesting that that's it doesn't exist in any of the other versions, and I can't find any reference to it anywhere mm. else. So it makes me really curious where did it enter into the 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 sort of literary history here? Yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely. And if you know, dear listener, let us know. Um, if you if you have any insight on that, yeah, please. Yeah, I mean, and here is the thing: I would imagine Austin is either. I mean, he just okay. <laughs> From a practical standpoint, he seems, he sounds like a very difficult partner to have. Okay, my hats off to Unin for dealing with him because he's either sort of like laughing and making seagulls and like roaring with the waves and laughter or he's like storming and raging. He could be challenging. He's a challenging boy. He has a probably a pretty good resting beach face. Oh my god. I know. Okay. So let's talk about then Asa and Unin's influence on and sort of shaping of the elves because yeah. we actually get quite a lot of this. Yeah, they were uh, Asa in particular is is fairly involved in the movement of the the migration of the elves. Yes. So uh, do you want to? Yeah, and even so, let me tell you. Let me let's do a cliff notes of the Quintus Silmarillion chapter five. So in that chapter, rem remember from a long time ago, listeners, that there are three kind of tribes or groups of the elves. Right? There's the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Well. The everybody was heading. Oh, the cliff notes is everybody's heading to to Amman, right? Everybody's going west, um, following Orame, and they they're all going along. And the Teleri, who's the biggest group, their leader, uh, who is called Elway, or as we know him much later, <laughs> one of Jude's favorites, not uh, Thingol, is off kind of falling in love and being in a beautiful love trance with a Maiar named Melian, and he couldn't be found. So the Teleri get to like the sort of the the last forests and the shores of uh, Beleriand, and they're like, oh, we can't go with you guys because we got to wait for our king, right? So we're going to set up camp here and wait for him. So the Vanyar and the Noldor leave, uh, they leave Middle-earth to go on uh, Ulmo's magical floating island bust. <laughs> and go across the giant sundering sea and they're kind of sitting there right so yep. they are living their lives by the mouths of Sirion and at the shores of the sea and they took they take Elway's brother Alway as their king and I wanted to read this quote because it's really beautiful long they remained by the coasts of the western sea and Asa and Uinen came to them and befriended them and Asa instructed them sitting upon a rock near to the margin of the land and of him they learned all manner of sea lore and sea music. Thus it came to be that the Teleri, who were from the beginning lovers of water, and the fairest singers of all the elves, were after enamored of the seas, and their songs were filled with the sound of waves upon the shore. So that's beautiful. So they sort of get their sea, so because we know the Teleris as the sea babies, right? And this yeah. is where they get that from. It's from Asa and yeah. Uden. That's so cool. Yeah, no, he. I also like that he is very possessive of the Teleri too. Yes, when it we'll... comes time to leave, right. he is just like, no, my babies. 
Right. You can't have them. Yeah. So let's, so years later, they've been living there for a long time at the request of Finway, the Noldor, right? And the Noldor, Ulmo goes, takes his bus back to Middle Earth to pick up the Teleri, right? When he gets there, most of the Teleri are like, sure, we're totally going to come with you. Forget it. We're not waiting for this stupid guy anymore. And also, but yeah, as Jude said, be, kind of becomes upset, right? He said he's sad because he says, oh, I cared for the seas and the shores of Middle Earth. Like, I'm not going to leave Middle Earth. And I'm bummed that I'm not going to get to hear the the beautiful voices of the Teleri anymore. So Asip persuaded some of the Teleri to stay. And those elves became known as the Falathrim, the elves of the Falas. And they were the very first mariners and shipbuilders in Middle Earth. And of course, one of our favorite dudes, Kirdan the shipwright, was their lord. So Think I how love that. old that makes Kirdan. Yeah. Kirdan is in the fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I know. He's one of the last, he's the, on the last ship. Oh. He is on the last ship out and he is buddies with Olway, the first king of the Teleri. He yeah. was, I mean, we don't know what his relative generational age is, but he is nearly as old an elf as you can get, as, certainly as old an elf as you can get in recorded elven history. And he has been there the whole time. Yeah. No wonder he's got a fucking beard. Like, <laughs> that's old. Yeah, he is old. He's older than the very idea of shipbuilding, right? I mean, that's yeah. real fucking old. That's fucking old. So also in the Silmarillion, we have Asa as part of this kind of migration myth shaping the varied land of Ea. So we're in chapter five of Eldamar and the princes of the Adalie. Is that how you say that? Adalie? Eldalie. Sure. Eldalie. Okay, thank you. So Elmo brings that floating island to Amman. And when they get to the Bay of Eldamar, Asa calls to the Teleri and he's like, no, dudes, don't, don't go that far. Hey, come on, don't go all the way there. Yeah. They hear his voice and they beg Olmo to stop their voyage. And Olmo's like, okay, sure, whatever. Asa then, and I, I think this is important to say, in this version of the Silmarillion, it says, at the request of Olmo, Asa rooted the magical floating highland to the, to the seafloor. Um, and this versions, becomes Tall Erisea, or the Lonely Island. In other yeah, versions, let's talk about that. Not so much at the request as right. out of jealousy and spite that he's yes. just like, eh, and he just like drops the anchor brakes. and says, yes. nah, fuck you. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that, and right, and I love that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that in the fall of Gondolin, it does say, Asa in jealousy, in jealousy and out of love for their singing, chained the island to the sea, chained the island to the sea bottom. Chained it. That's very different than rooted it because rooted yeah. it sounds like, oh, making it safe, right? I'm, I'm attaching yeah. it. I'm giving it roots. And chained is like, no, 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 no. You're not taking my island. That's a very different picture of him. And I think that's what's so fun about Asa is that, uh, yeah, as you say, he changes a ton. Yeah. Okay. So the Teleri are living in Talerasea for a really long time. Their hearts sort of start to yearn for the light of Amon, but they're kind of torn between their love of music and wanting to see their kin again and kind of look upon the beauty of Valinor. In the end, they end up heading over there to go see their kin and everything. So Asa's a little sad about losing them, but before they go, he teaches them how to build ships. This is like how they learn how to build ships. Yeah. And he gives them, because I guess there's no wind on the sea, he gives them 
quote unquote strong winged swans. And these are these are like the swan boats that are that are super um uh I don't know, evocative of the Teleri, right? Yeah. So for a while then they're living on the shores of Eldamar. They're they're basically living their best life and the Noldor give them like amazing, beautiful jewels and like their beaches are all full of jewels and their, you know, their castles are made of pearls. It sounds freaking amazing. And I just wanted to mention it because I just think it's really cool that this is where you get the swan boat thing. And these swan boats, as we know, is going to play a very important, important role later on. Right. So then, I mean, and just to mention as well, later in the Silmarillion, we do also hear in chapter 20, of the fifth battle, the Nirath uh, Arnoidiad. Arn- I can't say it. Nirnath Arnoidiad. Oh my God, that was beautiful. Okay. It, that one took some, that, that's years of practice on that one. Arnoid, I'll work on it. Nirnath Arnoidiad. Oh, that was beautiful. Arnoidiad. So, Arnoidiad. So that is a time. So I won't get into it, but basically, an, uh, a the guy Battle named Varanwe. The Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Yeah, Varanwe is, uh, is sailing to Amman to ask the Valor for help against Morgoth. And he sailed around for seven years and he can't find it. And he returns to Middle Earth. And he is saved from Asa's wrath by a terrible, which is basically a terrible storm and a shipwreck by Ulmount. So, and I think that's important because we don't hear, I feel like maybe this is sort of the first time we're hearing about shipwrecks. I mean, they mention it, but like, this is an example of like, this shipwreck yeah. fucked this guy up, right? He is tasked after the ban with sinking any ship to approach Amon. Oh. And in, in some of the older versions, that's more explicit. Hmm. But he is, Voronwe is the only one to survive his wrath and that's through almost direct intervention wow almost like too chill 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 yeah we can't we can't drown this kid yeah well i think it's more that like he felt like he had paid his dues with the yeah. seven years of of sailing well let's so let's circle back that before we leave the silmarillion because we're going to kind of peace out for a while and we're and we'll come back but let's talk about uinen right because she's not quite as prominent but i think uh, i did what definitely want to mention this so as we say with those, remember, I, I would like you to listener to think back to our kinslaying episodes and think about that very first kinslaying, the kinslaying at Alqualandi. Alqualandi is the is the capital of the like where the Teleri live, right where their king lives. So remember those swan boats that they built that were so great. Well, you know, we all know that the Noldor wanted those boats. Feanor specifically wanted those boats yep. and came to Alqualandi. To basically and basically destroyed the Teleri, um, but we wanted to mention this because this does relate to to our girl Uinen. The quote is: "When this happens, uh, the quote is: But Uinen wept for the mariners of the Teleri, and the sea rose in wrath against the slayers, so that many of the ships were wrecked and those in them drowned." And I just wanted to mention that because that act of the sea getting angry changes the course of of Feanor, right? Because his plan was to take all these boats over and all of a sudden there were, they weren't left with that many and he yeah. had to change the plan, right? Mhm. Yeah, that, you don't don't yeah. fuck with Asa and Noinen. Don't fuck with them exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They're cool. Let's talk about the unfinished tales. Should we talk about the unfinished tales a little bit? We can go through yeah. it super quick. Basically, we're getting a slightly different Asa than we get in the Silmarillion, I think. And tell me if I'm wrong. But basically, the it's like the motivation behind Asa is a little different in the Unfinished Tales. We see, basically, it says that 
that Asa obeys the will of Mandos and that his wrath, he is a servant of the doom. And of course, we know when Tolkien says doom, he means a destiny, right? Your destiny. So, and I think that that is a very different picture than just a big crybaby who gets mad and rages, right? All of a sudden, it's like he's doing Mando's bidding. So what do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's interesting. I I think that that's a, an, an interesting take on Asa. I don't have a strong thought on it. Um, Sure. I'm interested, I would be interested to know how this interacted with Tolkien's thoughts on him being corrupted mm-hmm. because it's yeah. a, it's it feels to me like a different attempt to answer the same question which is why sure. does it why do ships sink right yeah and that makes sense because i mean right unfinished i mean they're unfinished right so this is clearly a different yeah. version a- and then also to mention it well really quickly in the book of lost tales part two we get some very, and I, I don't want to go into this too much because I don't have a ton of background knowledge on it, but there is a, an unfinished story that Tolkien wrote parts of called The Tale of Eärendil. And Christopher Tolkien in the book of Lost Tale kind of mentions these really interesting tidbits about it. Uh, when referring to Eärendil going out to look for Tor in the ship, Tolkien writes that Tolkien had written in his notebook in a margin that Asa was the enemy of Eärendil. And then a little later on, it says, Eärendil departs all the same and is wrecked by the treachery of Asa. So I think that's interesting too, right? Yeah. Like an actual enemy, it makes it feel like like it's less of either fate, which is like, well, hey, the Amandos told me to do this. I can't, you know, whatever. Or someone just being angry, right? Like a hothead. But someone who is like, fuck you specifically, Eärendil, yeah. right? Yeah. So I thought and that was see, kind of interesting to think about. And we see sort of the, the remains of that in Ulmo guiding Tuar later on. Yes. Right. In the fall of Gondolin, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, so. that's that's very true. Yeah, it's really neat. Well, anyway, okay. So let's talk very quickly about Asa and Uinen's influence on the folks of Numenor, right? Because we got to talk about, we well, got to talk about humans, seafaring... bruh. A seafaring yeah. folk, so it makes sense that they are important figures. Yeah, and this so their names come up a lot in the Unfinished Tales Part Two. This uh, chapter called Aldarion and Arendis, the Mariner's wife. And all I want to say is I need to read this whole, in more depth because Arendis. I don't know how she has not made the list of our like top ten sc- like scorned lovers because <laughs> what the fuck. Aldarion, you suck. But anyway, yeah. we'll get into that later. Basically, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but, oh, but I do kind of, oh my God. All right, Jude, you're going to die when you hear this. You're going to die. All right. Okay. Lay it on. In the Unfinished Tales Part 2. All right. There is a king named Meldor, and his little prince son is named Aldarion, right? And Aldarion is all about sailing. He's like called the Lord of Ships. And he's like his father's heir, but he's like all about sailing. He's not interested in getting married at all. All he wants, he's like married to the sea, right? He's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. His dad's always like, dude, please come back. You need to come back and rule. What the fuck? And, and Eldarion's like, no, fuck you. I don't want to do that. All yeah. right. So in the unfitted, so in this story, we learn, and I need to mention this, even though it's a little off topic, but this is how we get to uh, Uinen. There is in Numenor a tradition called the Green Bow of Return, which is basically 
a when when someone is going off to the great sea, a woman most often uh, like a, a woman of the captain's kin would set upon the vessel's brow a green bough of return, so like a cut branch, right? And it was cut from a very specific tree, which Jude, you may or may not remember the name of. The name is Oyolare. Uh, Oyolare. Oh yes. Now. If anybody has listened to Hobbit Ween, Atherbeth Hobbit Ween, episodes two and three, you will remember a character that our friend Zeke played called Ozzy Oyolair, who, I don't know if you got the subtext, everybody, but there is, because of his ship's whistle and all these things, there's like heavy, Zeke was like heavily implying that this kid is somebody of Numenorean descent. And I freaking love that. And he's like a boat guy. So anyway, Zeke, yeah. if you were listening, that's fucking genius. I can't <laughs> believe it took me so long to figure that out. What the fuck? You're amazing. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. The reason why I mention this here is the green valve return is because it is a token of friendship for Asa and Uenen. That's what the Numenorians believe. So I just thought that was cool and I wanted to mention it. Yeah. I like all of the Numenorian stuff. Yes. I think that was one of the places, this is a total aside, but I think that was one of the nice little places that the show got right, mm-hmm. was that there's Rings a power. lot of um, visual references to Asa and Uinen in the uh, show, in Numenor. Yes. I'm um, glad you said that. There's a statue of Asa at one point, and there's no. a statue of oh. Oinen in the jail where, uh, where Sauron what's his handsome face is locked up as well we cannot take we i well i don't maybe you did i did not know about that until very recently when t with tolkien's twitter uh wrote that and had a picture of it and i was like holy shit that's amazing yeah and uh, yeah that was so thank you t with tolkien that was great but i think it's very cool that they included those notes that they Mm -hmm. that they did that i think that is a that is very faithful to the material to have those references to Asa and Oenin. Yeah, absolutely. Also, in this same story, we hear about that there is a, in Numenor is a place called the Bay of Romena, uh, and there's a small island there that's called Tol Uenin, and it was because apparently it was set there by Uenin, the Lady of the Seas. Um, so I thought that was kind of neat. And that is kind of the place where some of our story happens. And the cliff notes are, that Aldara, Eldarion, ends up like for a long time, like friend zones horrendous. Um, the, <laughs> the that's lady, one way of putting it. Yeah, she was she was really into him, and he was not into her. Eventually, they say they're going to get married. Although it took them twelve years to actually get married because he was off sailing around some fucking more before they actually got married. And after they got married, the the Lord of the Adunia refers to. Arendis, you know, his wife as Uinanel, the daughter of Uinan and the, the new lady of the sea. But what I love is Arendis is like, uh, she's like, oh, wait a minute. Stop. Oh, no, 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 no. I am no daughter of Uinan. Rather, she is my foe. Right. Because her husband is always off sailing in the fucking ocean. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that. I think that's kind of yeah, cool. she's she's salty. I like it. Yep, as salty as the sea, there dude. You go. As salty as the sea itself. <laughs> all right. So here's the, all right. So we might be missing some things, but I think those are kind of the fun, the fun bits and tidbits about those two. Yeah. But here, the question remains: Why do we care about them? I think I I hit 
my high my my main point earlier on, which was mm-hmm. that I think they are a rare case of showing what I feel is a very real, very uh, I'll use the term again, earthy, very natural depiction of the way people show faith, show spirituality and worship that we don't get in Middle Earth. And we even see the elves doing it, which I think is particularly rare. The way that elves and the uh, Numenorians show respect to Asa and Uenen is very, very much, you know, in keeping with the way that sailors have always entreated sea deities and abided by various sea traditions in whatever region that they're from. And I think that's really, really, I think it's a great addition. And I think it adds a dimension that is, for me personally, everyone here knows that like the spirituality of Middle-earth is very much my jam. So Mm -hmm. seeing a, a depiction of that from a different angle, a more earnest, um, uh, a less like aloof and like, we're too good to worship the Valar uh, <laughs> angle, I think is is great. Because I, the Silmarillion, per framing device, is an elvish document passed down through like a very weird specific channel, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I have a real problem believing that it uh, it accurately depicts the way most elves and men view the Valar and Eru mm-hmm. and the way they worship and so forth. I think that it is a very, whether or not Tolkien wanted it to, it's very much an artifact of Tolkien's particular spiritual beliefs as far as like he was uncomfortable having them openly like worship in a way that was distinctly non-Catholic. Mm. But he also didn't want to like straight out make them catholics so instead he just sort of went well nobody really worships anything because they know they're real and there's no point in worshiping them because they don't answer prayers and blah 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 blah, blah which is <laughs> look all, all all respect do but that's a cop-out that's not how people work and i really like that this is a more realistic depiction and i think it suggests the uh, it, it opens the door for the idea that there were a uh, uh, a more a wider spectrum of relationships that that elves and men had with the Valar and the Maiar than what we see in the Silmarillion. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I absolutely love the way you outlined the importance of Asa presenting a figure that switches sides because we just, as you say, yeah, and that we don't see yeah. a ton of that. We don't see any of it. And I think it's, it's I really want to know more about that. I, that is something that I, I have kind of put a pin in for my personal interest because I, I, there has to be more information on when that entered the the, the Silmarillion drafts. Sure, and there has to be more. There has to be more about like how that came to be in in the in the published version. So I'm I'm very interested to try and look that up because yeah, that's a big thing. Like that's a big thing to like have n- no commentary or like yes. to have nothing on. Somebody has to have dug into that deeper. I'm sure. Yeah. And it, and as we kind of, you said this earlier, but there is, you know, Asa and Unan, even though they had lots of name changes, they were ever present, right? Even though they changed from Valar to Maiar, whatever, like they were always there, even from the very beginnings. Yeah. Um, and I re- and there's, you know, in the Book of Lost Tales, Christopher writes, Asa's uncertain relations with Ulmo 
are seen to go back to the beginning, um, yeah. kind of indicating that there was always going to be this power struggle. And, and yeah, all the way know, back. Characters like that. That's pretty cool. You know, yeah, all the way back. We see we see these characters there and that relationship is there. And I do think that that's really interesting. What seeing the way those characters evolved and then also reinforcing this addition of this this double this allegiance switch to have that come in right at the end i think it just makes me want to know more so yeah so again i i i ask the question if any of you out there listening know more about this please do not hesitate to shout at me on twitter or discord or whatever because, yeah or our discord yeah because i i would love to know more about this or else i'm gonna have to research it and i don't have time for that shit um <laughs> And on that note, how about an outgoing joke for you? Would you like a joke? Yes, please. Why did Asa and Uinen blush? I don't know. Because the seaweed. Ah! <laughs> Boo. <laughs> That's an old one. That's like a Laffy Taffy joke. That oh, is. No. That's pretty good, though. Thank you. Cool. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you, uh, Jude, for swimming through this uh, interesting... <laughs> kind of oceanic take on on these two very fascinating characters i appreciate it The road may go ever on and on, but this aquatic episode is over. If you enjoyed this aquatic podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Or I heard maybe Spotify you can leave little comments too. All right. As it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at podcast.atherbeth.com. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at atherbeth underscore cast. My pal Jude can be found at Eremitic Jude. And I can be found at the North Pole. Our producer, James, can be found at J. Pearson. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings. Does that sound like I was swimming? By Pony Music, courtesy of Pond 5. Thank you for listening. God. <laughs> okay. I will inject those as we get to them. I'll highlight them in red, though, so you know um, where we're yeah. going. I saw some of them. So, yes, yeah. Inject away. Okay. That's not appropriate. I'm so sorry.